This is episode 185 of IDRA Class Notes. When the school starts hearing from these families that they considered uninterested, it helps the school see these parents and the kids in a new way. A new value is there. And also, our schools need the community partnership to keep their doors open. Now, when the scores go down and all this other stuff, parents that are well-informed and are working in these kinds of projects are already organized to tell the school district, whatever you're doing, we want the doors open in school. And so they become natural allies to that principal and those teachers to keep the school open. back to the IDRA Class Notes podcast. I am Michelle Vega, the Technology Coordinator for IDRA, and I'm here with Aurelio Montemayor, who directs the Texas Education Cafe Project. Today, we're going to talk about authentic family engagement. So what are the family leadership and education projects? Michelle, the roots go back almost 40 years Education Cafe's subtitle, the acronym, stands for Community Action Forums for Excellence, and it is the current embodiment of the work we've been doing for quite a while in terms of family engagement. Family engagement traditionally has had other strands, the parent organization that does volunteering and fundraising, which is good, but it has no influence on policy and practice in a school. Then you have another aspect of family engagement, which has to do with the betterment of the individual. In other words, you do parenting classes, um, how to discipline your child, help with the homework, or self-development. It might be English as a second language or anything, knitting. And so those are good classes, but again, they don't have any influence on the policy and practice of a school. That's why a long time ago, we started focusing on family leadership. How can families, especially families that don't seem to have much voice or representation, really have influence in terms of policy and practice so that their neighborhood public schools are excellent. So we came up with the idea of a training program. It has evolved. And our education cafe, which is the current embodiment, has three major pieces. Number one, that it's community-based and it's got distributive leadership. It's based not in the school, but in an organization. And the leadership evolves. You're not depending on the individual charismatic super mom, for example. And secondly, another major issue is that these groups and organizations have a very real partnership as peers with the schools. So they're not disconnected, but they keep their own identity as a separate group. And thirdly, the proof of the pudding is in their projects. In other words, what makes this unique is that it's not just training and we're looking for a presenter for the next meeting and worrying about coffee and donuts, but that you have the group coming up with something that they're going to do to improve education in some way so that the family leadership and education projects are real-life application of leadership tasks. It's their laboratory. Okay, wonderful. So why do you refer to it as an experiential learning laboratory? Very importantly, the word experiential means that you're actually in the middle of something, you're doing it. It's in contrast to having a presenter talk about something. You know, whether it's a good speech or a bad speech, a good one with a PowerPoint, it's still... The audience are passive listeners, and you might have Q&A, question and answer afterwards, but basically I went there to be told something or to learn something. And what's the proof of the pudding in our groups is that they look at information, they look at data, and then they say, you know what, we need to look at math, or 
you know, our playground needs work, but they come out with something where the parents are going to come together to do something about it. And it's time phase. They come out with a plan. Everybody figures out what they're going to do. And there's going to be a time when they're going to look at, look at what we tried, what happened. Okay, wonderful. What do you mean by actionable data? Okay, that sounds kind of technical. And yeah, policy wonks are always looking at reading scores and stuff like that. Well, parents need to look at a lot of information in a parent-friendly way, in a, in a way that is understandable, and figure out, oh, you know what, what this is telling me, we have to do X, or we have to look at X, or we need more information about Y. Let's say, for example, the science scores are very low on this campus. They want to say, well, let's, let's talk with teachers, let's investigate what it is that needs to happen so that the children really grasp and, and excel in science, you know. Or another group says, you know, look at our dropout rates. What is it that we need to do? Do we need to do a survey in the community to find out why are kids leaving school? Why are they not completing it? So, it, you know, the data is information that is going to be useful for the parents to figure out, here's something we can do either to investigate more or do something about it to transform the situation to improve it. All right. So what I'm hearing is that they know there's a problem. And they are going to request information from the school to make the unseen seen so that everybody is talking about the same numbers and the same information. And then you can kind of move forward from that. Yeah, that's part of it. You want the data. But remember, it's not just to hear information for the sake of information. It's because the parents are going to figure out out of all this information, what's something we want to influence? What's something we want to make better or transform? Okay. What are some specific examples of these? Ooh, there's so many. Let me tell you one big one. You know, we have about eight groups in South Texas, and they're networked. These are community organizations that have many issues, but one thing they have in common is education is on the front burner for them. And some years ago, there was a change in graduation requirements in Texas. It was, I think, five or six years ago, House Bill 5 was passed. Uh, there's been other legislation with the same number, but that particular year, House Bill 5, was one that no longer made Algebra 2 a requirement. In other words, they had before that, the four by four, the four years of science, math, English, language, arts, and social studies required, and 80% of the students in Texas were graduating having complete the four by four, you know, so that they had all the credits they needed to be accepted into college. Well, they opened the door, and now they have these things called endorsements, but what these parents when they heard about it, we're afraid of is we're going to go back to a time when you had all these voc ed and Mickey Mouse math and stuff like that, and a lot of our kids are no longer going to be in a college track, and they were concerned about that. So they didn't know what the status was in the community, and because it was a group of organizations that spanned two counties and over 10 school districts, they did a survey. These grassroots organizations made these surveys, mostly in Spanish, of 1,600 families. They collected the data, then we helped them with a report, and then they held this big region-wide conference called a Mesa Comunitaria to report to the community, here's what we found. 80% of the families didn't know the rules had changed. Most of them didn't know whether their kids were taking, in high school, had courses that would be good for college or not. And, and that project then led to follow-up. So those districts now became better skilled at informing families about this. And families were made more conscious through their local organizational meetings to check to see, is my kid in Algebra 2? 
when my son graduates from high school or my daughter, will her transcript be acceptable to a college to be accepted? Are they going to have to take all these remedial courses for no credit? And so that project has legs with it. It's still alive. And that's one. You know, another group, not all the projects are successful. One group was it was trying to stop for them closing a school because it was in a poor neighborhood and had already been targeted for generations. And it seems they're going to close the school, but at least they joined together telling the school district, don't shut down this school in our neighborhoods. We are poor families. We don't have a lot of transportation and we want to keep our neighborhood school open. So that was another project. And the projects vary. And here in South San Antonio, the families were found out that the middle schools are all going to be magnet schools. It's a new idea. So each of the three middle schools in that school district is going to have a specific focus or purpose, whether it's pre-med or STEM or arts or whatever. And so they just wanted to investigate. So they went and talked to the administration and they're now polling families. What do they think about it? And their project is going to be to track what happens when these new schools open. What are we going to do about that? Okay. Yeah. And, and I think everything that you're saying, what I'm hearing is that what's important is that the students are prepared and ready for college, regardless to what they decide. If they're not ready to go to college and they're not prepared by our schools, then we are doing a disservice to these students. Right. Okay. So finally, I want to go ahead and start wrapping it up. But how does having a family leadership and education project at your school make your parent involvement stronger? Well, because we have this piece called a project, a family leadership and education project, it is rarely found in parent organizations, and it takes it to a whole new level. Number one, it surprises, but also doesn't surprise us that families really care about the education of their children. A lot of the families we work with in target schools don't think care enough about school, even though if the families don't show up, it might be because mom and dad are both working full time to just keep food on the table. But when you talk to them, when you interview the families, education is a high priority. They say, you know, I don't, I want my kid to do better than I did. I think that's a universal goal of right. most parents. Exactly. And when the school starts hearing from these families that they considered uninterested or I don't care, it, it helps the school see these parents and the kids in a new way. It, a new value is there. And also, our schools need the community partnership to keep their doors open. Now, when, when the scores go down and all this other stuff, school boards threaten to shut down schools, parents that are well-informed and are working on these kinds of projects are already organized to tell the school district, whatever you're doing, we want the doors open in school. And so they become natural allies to that principal and those teachers to keep the school open. I think it also helps remove some of the bias that educators may have towards those parents. And that is definitely a conversation that we should all be having, um, how to remove those biases. You know, family leadership in education, to some administrators, some teachers, is a bothersome idea. They think, oh, they're going to be meddling. We just want them to send the kids to us and make sure they sleep at night and do their homework and don't mess. But new administrators and most progressive teachers realize we need this kind of engagement, real authentic engagement. So is there anything else that you'd like to add? What I'd like to add is it's so such an honor. It's so exciting to work with the families and to see their some families with very limited resource, limited education, you know, barely at minimum wage. And they're so, their dreams for their kids is so strong. You know, see these moms, you know, sell stuff so that the kid can have a textbook for his dual credit course and stuff like that. It's just awesome. 
So the motivation's there. We just need to harness it. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening. To read the full article or learn more about Education Cafe, please visit our website at www.idra.org. There you'll find the show notes as well as our newsletters and resources. Thank you. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.